Hey everyone, welcome back to the Real Purpose of Life podcast. I am your host, Wyatt Hebblethwaite. And man, I am so excited for uh, this talk today. We got Brett Yan to come and talk with the staff at OU and ask him questions about anxiety. And it's a really great talk and he shares some good wisdom. Um, again, I just highly recommend checking it out because he brings he brings the heat. For those of you who don't know Brett Yon, um, he lives in Nebraska. Um, he also started um, the collegiate ministry at University of Nebraska called uh, Christian Challenge. Um, he also started New Covenant Community Church, and right now he's a consultant and coach for collegiate ministries. And um, man, I cannot tell you the impact that Brett Yon has had on the life of so many people, including mine. So without further ado, here is Brett Yon on anxiety. Well, Brett, we, we're really excited that you're here with us. We were going to call you anyway, and then uh, the, last week you you dropped that email, which uh, I thought was really, really appropriate for the time. Almost exactly what we've been talking about, and so that, that wasn't necessarily the drive for this conversation, but we definitely want you to talk about some of that. I know Focus had you address that last week. But I would uh, love for our people to just be able to ask you questions. Um, I, I know there's you. This might be the one thing in college ministry that's not new at this time. This whole thing here, but uh, you've seen it all, been around a long time. We we just want to get some wisdom from you and kind of what you think. We really should be pressing with our students the chances that we get to be around them. And uh, I don't know, you're a pretty forward thinker, so you might have kids too. So anything's on the table, guys, if you want to ask him questions. But could you kind of just address the anxiety that you're bit, you've been seeing uh, and you have some kind of background of looking into it? Could you just talk about that real quick? Sure, sure. Well, you know, there are three causes of anxiety, stress, stress, and stress. That anxiety really comes as a result of stress. And so when you look at your life and my life, we're not college students, but things have changed and been disrupted so much that along with that change and disruption comes stress, that that's just part of the deal. And so, um, I think it's natural, it's human, it's how God made us that our brains get stressed. I know when I travel overseas and suddenly you're in a different culture with a different language, different smells and all of this. I mean, initially your brain just gets flooded with all of this different kind of stuff and it creates fatigue, you're not sure the footing that you have, you don't understand what you're seeing and uh, what your the new way of life. And I think in many ways, uh, we're all going through some kind of a culture shock that's, that creates stress on our lives. You know, I think of even raising our support 
And what does this mean for our support, our finances? Uh, what if people don't have the opportunity or the ability to give to us anymore? And uh, almost everything we count on is gone. I was telling a couple of friends yesterday, if the enemy really wanted to do us in, he would do away with the internet. And then what would our lives be with no ability to connect outside of our homes? Um, and so really we're in that stress. And so we've got to learn to take care of ourselves. And uh, that's first. The second thing is how do we take care of our students? You know, suddenly some of them are at the worst place they could be and that's at home. Uh, many of them escape, find college to be an escape. They're around people who like them. They're not around parents who are arguing and stressing them out, siblings. And so they've, they've got that going on. And then they have the online stuff, classes. I guess OU's doing online classes. Do you guys know if they have to, like if they have a 10 o'clock Wednesday class, do they have to be at their computer at 10 o'clock? Or can they look at that at any time? Does anybody know? Yeah. It varies between class to class. The professor decides, but yeah, like Wyatt said, a lot of them do have to be there. Yeah, that's... Wow, can you imagine the stress that's on the students? And so anxiety is extremely predictable when you look at stress, that they go hand in hand. And anxiety is not a disease. Uh, this We had a former student who was hospitalized last weekend with what turned out to be anxiety he thought he was having a heart attack, hard time breathing. Um, and they thought maybe it was COVID-19. So ends up after all the tests and everything, he was, he had anxiety. And uh, somehow in his thinking, he had demonized anxiety to where that's like, well, it's wrong for Christians to have anxiety. That was his thinking. And yet in talking to him and I sent him, um, uh, K-State had a psychologist talk on anxiety last Thursday night on their uh, feed for their meeting. And I sent that to him and he watched it over and over again, it recommended a book that he read and so when I talked to him one, one of the times this week, he said, you know, anxiety is, is not sinful and uh, it's natural. He said, it's kind of like breaking your leg. If you break your leg, well, then how are you going to fix it? And it's like, yeah. So I think a lot of times Christians demonize anxiety. Um, 
when Paul says, don't worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. You know, why would he say not to worry? Because people worry. That's why he would say that. It's kind of like saying, don't break your leg. Don't worry about anything, but don't break your leg. But if you do, go to the ER. And so if you find yourself caught in worry, then somehow we need to enact some steps to do it. Now, I'll, I'll give one, one thought here that has been helpful to me and helpful to this student I've been, former student I was talking to this week, to learn how to overcome stress and worry, we've got to see it like a golf swing. And I don't know if you've ever played golf. I've tried to play the game. I've had lessons, but I'm kind of like Harold Bullock. Harold did a ski retreat for us once and he went to ski school the first day. And that night when he spoke, he said, well, I've just got to be honest with you guys. I flunked ski school. I have to go back tomorrow. So he went back the next day and he went through ski school a second time. And he then that next night when he spoke, he said, yeah, I, I got kicked out of ski school. I'm not going to be ski. <laughs> and, uh, you see, anything that you try that's new is really hard to hard to do. And with the golf swing, you know, there are these different parts to it. And you have to, to learn to put your hands in the right place and your feet and your hips. And you have to be synchronized to go through and swing at the right time. And none of it feels natural. All of it feels completely unnatural. And uh, people have told me that uh, if it starts feeling natural, you're doing something wrong. And so the, the, the practice, the daily practice of these things and learning to do these things is what's going to help alleviate and deal with anxiety in our lives and the lives of students. And so I, I came up with six things because I wanted it to be simple and transferable. And uh, if you want to read what I think is the best book I've read on this subject, it's Finding Quiet by J.P. Moreland. And J.P. Moreland's a apologetics professor at Biola University. Uh, he was, he sat under Dallas Willard for uh, his education and he's just a brilliant guy. And he wrote this book, Finding Quiet, that's based on his dealing with anxiety in his own life. And uh, he had anxiety to the point where he needed to be hospitalized for his anxiety. And uh, so he thought, well, what could I practice? What could I begin to practice that would keep anxiety from overtaking me? 
And so a lot of these six points come from his book. Henry Cloud has a lot to say about anxiety. And I've uh, listened to his podcast and stuff like that. Uh, but these are the six things. The first one is to be still. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. And stillness is something that we don't often practice. And for sure, our students don't practice. Um, when I was in Florida this past summer, I was rolling out some of these thoughts on anxiety to the students and I I challenged them to to be still to move away from reacting to life most lives are like a pinball you shoot the ball up there and it just bangs and bounces across things and then it just goes into the hole and so often our lives are like that we just start our day with that pinball and it's just like bang, 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 bang. And then we just go into the hole, go to sleep, get up the next day, do it again. And we've got to break that pattern. And part of breaking the pattern is a conscious decision to be still. And I'm not talking about your quiet time. I'm talking about just being still. And um, I encourage them to uh, find a place of beauty or comfort and to just be still. And I remember when I was a student at OU back 50 years ago, uh, this, this anxiety thing's not a new thing, by the way. But the, I remember this girl came in and she it was a part of a sorority and she was all upset and she was talking and she was agitated and and someone, I don't remember who it was, just said, well, uh, man, you need to slow down. And she said, I can't slow down. She said, if I slow down, I'll just start crying. Uh, for some reason, that stuck in my mind. Probably, I thought, man, that's, that's whacked out. That's weird. Uh, but it's the truth. One reason people don't want to be still is they don't want to to deal with whatever it is they've got to deal with. They just wanna keep going. Because they think if I stop, I'm gonna be so overwhelmed. And, and somehow the spirit of God has allowed this virus to come that's forcing everyone to be still. And so in some ways that's really a good thing because it's only when you can be still that you can begin to make changes, begin to think differently about your life. And so you've got to break the cycle of busyness and distraction. And, uh, and so with that, I know that students and others, as they're still, all these things are popping up, all these thoughts, regrets, sins uh, are hitting them. And I, I was telling some guys yesterday, one of my fears is in the whole world of sexual brokenness and pornography, uh, 
that so many men and women who have had victory are suddenly in this place where they're alone and all these other thoughts start surfacing and how am I going to deal with this? How am I going to, to deal with this? And so many I'm afraid are going to be reconnected to pornography. And those who haven't been, I'm afraid they're going to go that route. I think there'll be an epidemic of pornography. Um, and that makes me really sad, but I understand it that that's kind of the enemy's ways. That's what he does, tries to get us to escape and to run away from those thoughts that come up when we're still. A second thing is find the red dot. When you go into a, a shopping mall, you know, you want to know where am I? So you find this kiosk and the red dot on there says, you are here. You are here. And this, this is kind of the awareness of where I am. You know, when you're still, these thoughts begin to flood you, but then you want to go to the red dot, where am I? Um, Psalm 139, 23 and 24 talks about, uh, God, help me know where I am. Help me have an awareness of where I am and what you are thinking of me. Uh, one of the practices that I recommend to people, once you've gotten still, you practice being still, then you practice your awareness of where you are. And so I, I suggested in Florida, yeah, I would challenge you guys to set your phone alarm for five minutes and then set your phone down, no music, no internet, no nothing. And you, you find a quiet place and for five minutes, you just sit there and you think about where am I with God? What's, what's my body telling me? Do I feel stress in my shoulders? What is going on here? Um, and so I met the next couple of days later, I met with this woman in the BCM down there. And so she said, you know, I've tried this. This is the second day I've tried that. And she said, it's one of the most difficult things I've ever done. She said, but I think I'm going to keep doing it. And I challenged him to do five minutes and then go 10 minutes and then go 15 minutes and whatever during that time as you're trying to get a handle on where you are with God and really centering yourself in him that whatever thoughts come to your mind you just push those away you just say I'll deal with you later that you don't try to fix anything you don't try to solve anything you're just sitting resting in the presence of God, waiting for him. And I think that's just so, these times of quiet and meditation and rest, it's 
part of our bodies dealing with anxiety and stress. I read a book called The Body Keeps the Score. It's not a Christian book. It's a, a psychologist in the Netherlands who wrote that. It's got a lot of science in it, but he delivers it in a very good way. And uh, so it, it's how our bodies align with the stress, what stress does to our bodies. Very interesting book, not just stress, but abuse and other things. But you find the red dot, you practice that, you practice awareness of my body and here I am with God and you just deliver this to him. Um, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are laboring and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Then the third thing that is a practice that we usually start with this, but when it comes to anxiety, I think we need the preparation of, of quiet and awareness of where we are. It's you focus on the word of God. You embrace the word of God. That before you come to the word, you release those things that are dogging you. You release those to Christ. No, I'll deal with you later. I'll deal with you later. And then you come to embrace the word of God, that you come in the right heart and spirit, that it's not a habit, that you're coming into the presence of God through his word. And then the fourth practice is thanking him for his gifts. You know, that Philippians 4, 6 says, 7, with thanksgiving, and almost every person that I've read or studied talk about the value of a gratitude journal for people that are dealing with anxiety. Well, this is what I'm grateful for today, that they keep that, that they add to it every day, that every day you write down things you're grateful for. And I think that plays into Philippians 4, 8, 9, where it says, whatever is true, noble, right, whatever is pure, lovely, admirable, anything excellent or worthy of praise, think about these things. And it says, whatever you've learned, received, and heard from or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. And so with students, it's like, yeah, what are you grateful for today? If I'm Skyping with someone, what is it that you've really focused on being grateful for today? Because so much stress and anxiety is like fear of the future and uh, being thankful. And then, and you practice that. You practice being, you practice each of these things. That it's like, because I've got anxiety, I'm just going to practice this. I'm just going to, keep doing it. And uh, then the fifth one is changing your direction. I like what the Living Bible says, Psalm 119, 59. I thought about the wrong direction in which I was headed, and I turned around and came back, running back to you. And uh, 
that they would that part of my practice is to think about what are the wrong ways I'm headed and how can I turn around and come back to God? I have a, one of our former students was in China, just got back to the States two weeks ago, just got out of quarantine. And uh, in China, they were in their uh, living unit, gated community uh, for 51 days. They couldn't leave. Well, he could leave every three days to go get groceries, food for them. And he was mentoring house church leaders in Chengdu. And so he, he told me as I was talking with him last week, you know, he said one of the things that he noticed, even in the, even in the uh, house church leaders' lives, but especially in the people they were leading, was the rise of domestic uh, conflict and in some cases abuse, assault because of being confined in all these periods of time. And uh, he said, I really had to, to get these men to teach their people how to practice some of the things that I'm talking to you guys about. How do I calm my spirits? How do I let go of this anger? How do I do these things? And, um, and that's where, you know, you, we, we have to be led to say, well, I thought about the wrong direction I was going, but I turned around and I'm coming running back to you. And uh, that's something we practice. The sixth thing is John 16, 24. Jesus said, hitherto you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. And so what is it today that you're going to ask God for? What is it that you think you need today that you can ask God for? So those are the six things. Be still, find the red dot, focus on the word, be thankful for the gifts that God's given us, turn around and change directions, and then ask God for what you need. And those six things each need to be practiced. And that's to me how you take your focus off of worry and all the things that could go wrong. And you refocus that on the rock, on the refuge, on the one who would come and give us the strength we need to endure this situation. So that's my abbreviated version of my anxiety stuff. So uh, yeah, questions, feedback, comments, disagreements. I have a question for you, Brett. Okay. You, you talked a little bit about this with um, kind of, like with being still and finding the red dot. But I just wanted to see if you would maybe expand a little bit more on just the idea of like meditation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about 
biblical meditation. Yeah. You know, I certainly don't understand it all, but we see like the, the word meditation is used a lot in the Psalms and the ideas used a lot. Um, would you maybe expand a little bit on just how? No, I mean, yeah, unfortunately, what, the world has stolen from us as Christians this idea of meditation has turned it into a mindfulness yoga type thing. And I was talking to a YWAM uh, person who is a trainer of YWAM folks, and she's really good at what we're talking about here of figuring out how do I really bring myself into the presence of God and experience him. And I said, well, how do you deal with this in the Christian environment where this kind of thinking is often demonized? That it's kind of like, well, this is not good. And she said, well, I'm, I refuse. I refuse to let the world steal this concept from us. Uh, she said, we're the ones that came up with it. God's, God's the one that came up with this, and they can't steal it. We need to take it back, because if we don't, we're all going to be shattered emotionally and psychologically, and uh, that's resonated with me. I, I try to be careful when I talk about it, because I think there's so much out there that's misunderstood, and don't mishear me in saying that what I'm talking about is the same as just emptying, you know, the, the purpose of yoga and some of these things is just empty your mind, just empty it of everything. And that's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is let go of everything that's driving you and become aware of your personal life and self in the presence of the living God. And that, uh, that that's really hard to do. It's something we have to practice because of distractions and because of us being fractured people. We, we are all broken. And we bring our brokenness to Christ, and it can look different. Each one of us, our brokenness looks different. And, uh, and there's so much activity, I think, in terms of, and, and part of it is good, and part of it is a uh, distancing ourselves. It's kind of like, well, I'm not going to think of that. I'm just going to think of who I am in Christ. That I'm just going to hold, oh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm righteous when the truth is that I'm also broken. And that my righteousness is only the, the gift and righteousness of Christ himself. And so part of meditation <clears throat> I think is becoming aware of my brokenness before Christ. And I shouldn't be afraid of that. I have a quote by Larry Crabb that I love. Uh, 
and he said this, Christians are not to pretend about anything, whether we lust, worry, covet, resent, or hate, we are to acknowledge the reality of who we are at any given moment, fully admitting to ourselves and to God that we are angry or whatever, and permitting our bodies to feel the physical concomitance of strong emotion is not sin. To do otherwise is foolish. And so I think there, when it comes to meditation, scripture memory, replacing thoughts, all of which I think is legit, that one of the failures is that we, we use that to keep us from what's really going on inside of us. And we begin to be pretend people. Of course, you can't keep that up forever. And um, so I really like that point. So, so Brian, when it comes to meditation, what I'm saying is don't pretend, but, but be brutally honest and to rest before Christ. And then, you know, once you have a grip on where you are, then I think coming to scripture and then chewing on verses like I people that hang that have anxiety it's like have you ever memorized the 23rd psalm the lord is my shepherd well as a kid in my era everybody memorized that as well as the lord's prayer and uh for students that weren't raised in that era probably they need to memorize the psalm and then as they try to go to sleep they take each word of the psalm the Lord, the Lord. Okay, so we stop there. We, we're trying to go to sleep. We're the Lord. You're thinking of the Lord. You're thinking, now, who is this? What is the Lord like? What is the Lord to me? The Lord is. Oh, you're present here, Lord. You're not, I'm not alone here, lying in this bed. I'm never alone. You're always present. The Lord is my shepherd. You're my shepherd. You're mine. You have chosen me. You have, you have blessed me in Christ. You're my shepherd. You watch over me. Boy, you know, rarely can I make it through the prayer before I'm sound asleep. Gene War used to say, when you start med meditating on scripture, the devil will rock you to sleep. And uh, I think that's true, that you find these passages of scripture that people memorize, and it brings them rest. It gives them the ability to sleep. So meditation is, uh, they used to say it's like a, Gene War used to say it's like a cow chewing its cud. He said it chews that, oh, that's good grass, and it swallows it. And then a few minutes later, it coughs it up again and says, oh, I think I have some more of that. And it just keeps chewing. And that's what meditation is. It's, it's chewing on scripture. It's different from just scripture review. It's actually taking these passages and chewing on them 
and letting them soak into you. And uh, so does that kind of approach your question, Brent? Yeah, that's really helpful. When uh, I had a question for you, when if you're dealing with somebody uh, or somebody has a question like <clears throat> about the red dot part of it, where you're saying like, you know, I want to find myself uh, where I met before the Lord. Um, maybe none of us might might, you know, wonder about this, but I'm thinking about like a new believer or somebody that's like not that mature in the Lord and they and they really are anxious about a lot of things. Um, what are some practical tips to help them? Like, cause it's kind of broad to just say, you know, where are you before the Lord? But is there some more specific or more uh, hands-on, you know, little step-by-step -step or anything like that would be helpful for a, a, a new believer to try to find his red dot? Yeah, I, I think uh, one thing, Matt, that I've seen helpful to people is to make a sin list. So as you're sitting there just thinking, where am I before the Lord? And he brings a sin to your mind. Write that down. Write it down, write it down, write it down. And then offer that to Christ. And I'd usually tie that to First uh, John 1, 8, 9, 10, and then... First John, First John 2, 1 and 2, we have an advocate with the Father that you take this list of charges against you and you hand it to your defense attorney. Here's what's against me. Here you go. And then this defense attorney goes before the Father and says, I'm, I'm taking this for him. It's not on him anymore. And so it's something very practical for a new believer. And then have them tear up the list, have them destroy it. And so that's, uh, you know, I think as you get older in Christ, it's much easier for those transactions to just be mental rather than something physical. That's really good. That sounds really helpful and something I could just turn around this afternoon and use with somebody. Yeah, good. Oh, could you also, Julie had a great question. Okay. Could you give us the uh, link or, or send us through the chat or email or whatever's easy for you? Send us the link to that K-State. Um, yeah, if you just go to, if you go to KSU Christian Challenge on Facebook, okay. Okay. Look at that page and it's there. Great. I'll do that. I'll send it to everybody then. Cool. Okay. Good. Thank you. When we're thinking about helping someone just kind of practically walk through these six steps, um, is the first step kind of like more of the actually getting away like just choosing to be separate or is there like you know minutes within that step of something that you're doing in your heart 
like just trying to be still. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's a decision. It's a decision that I'm going to try to shut down all the external input. It may be a decision to say, I'm going to go go take a walk around the block. I'm, I'm going to get away from all this noise. You know, I, if I were talking with students who's got anxiety, and I think these are helpful practices whether you have anxiety or not. Uh, but if I were going to talk to a student, I'd say, so you're cooped up at home and this and that. How do you get away? What does that look like? Well, I go outside and I sit on the deck and take my music or whatever. Um, and I don't know that students are this confined. I was talking to someone this morning that students are still getting together, maybe in smaller groups at homes, but they're still getting together, which, you know, they may be stopping that if this thing explodes. I mean, there have been more deaths in Cleveland County, Oklahoma, than there have been in the entire state of Oklahoma, of Nebraska. There have been five deaths in Cleveland County and only two, three deaths in the state of Nebraska. And so part of, uh, part of what people are dealing with here, as well as probably there is like, yeah, this isn't that big of a deal. It only hits old people and uh, we're going to be okay. We're, I'm just doing this for grandma and I don't, I don't think I'm going to be seeing grandma this week. And yet the truth is it's not, that's not true. Um, so hopefully those students will stop getting together at some point. But the question I would ask is, so what are the, what are things that are distracting you? You need to go outside and sit on a deck in your backyard. Then don't take your phone with you. Just be present, just just breathe. Just just take five minutes and just breathe. Don't don't worry about doing anything. Just be there. <coughs> and uh, so, to me, that's what the be still part is. It's like we we detach from the distractions and um, don't don't watch next don't put Netflix on uh, closed captioning and try to be quiet while you're reading Netflix lines uh, but I would be curious with students that are anx anxious I'd be curious about so tell me what your day looks like when do you get up in the day? What do you typically do? What time do you go to bed at night? Who do you see? Uh, how are your, you know, I would be very curious of what their stresses are. And then I would encourage a first step of just 
being still. So I don't know if that helps, Bethany. Yeah, it says thanks. So I have a question. So what's like in this time, the balance of letting students grieve for things that they lost, like not being able to do graduation or anything like that. Um, what's the balance of that with like also pushing them to trust God deeper and realize that like this wasn't a surprise to God and that there's still like a plan for all this because I think I've talked to a few students and probably in my head just been like this is pretty easy you need to get over it but, but like it's actually a much bigger deal to them and like I didn't really care about going to my graduation ceremony but I get that a lot of people do so what's the what could you say to that well I think uh Austin that's the whole issue of disappointment and maybe the question that they could better deal with in grief, because grief is like a, a slippery thing. Uh, it's true, and that's a good category for people like you who kind of view things from a different perspective. But for students, it's like grief, oh, no, I'm I'm fine. I didn't want to go to graduation, this and that. Oh, summer project. I don't have to raise that money. I was worried about that anyway. Um, it's easy to dismiss that rather than embrace that. I think that's what you're, you're saying. And so I like to talk about disappointment. Like, what's really been disappointing to you in all of this? And you start you start with what they give you. Now, you may have an end in mind. You, you may think, okay, they really need to deal with, with this, but they've got to get there. There's, it's got to be a journey for them. So I start with what they give me. Yeah, I really miss my whatever, you know, and it's like, oh, well, tell me about that. Why? Why is that disappointing to you? What was there about that that you that really, you must have really liked it to be disappointed? What was there in that to, that you're helping them think? I, I think so often in helping people, whether it's with uh, anxiety or anything, is I, I want to be someone that just holds up a mirror to them help them to see themselves. I, I always tell people, if you, if you have a booger, you're in your nose hanging down, you're probably going to be the last person to know it because no one will tell you and you aren't going to look at, you look in a mirror and you go, well, why has anyone told me this today? And so I just want to hold up a mirror. I want them to see themselves and so rather than me telling them, I want to ask them and to uh, 
get them to see something, you know, like, and, and seriously, guys are so much worse than this than girls. Um, there's a, I think I sent it on the, um, email that I sent you, Shane, that has a document called sachet.com or sachet. It's from, uh, website live10.com but what it is it's a list of emotions like six different major emotions and then how it breaks down out of that and i think guys especially need to be able to say oh so yeah this is how i'm feeling that they need something that they can look at because they don't quickly identify their feelings. So Shane, if you could forward that to everybody yeah. and uh, to, to be able to give that to students, just say, well, hey, I'm sending you this PDF or whatever it is document. And I just wonder, you know, where do you find yourself on this page? Because you read through that and everybody's gonna find themselves someplace. So whatever they give you, you start there. And your end goal is for them to recognize what's been disrupted and disappointed in their life. And then to listen to them process that. Uh, I was reading last Monday on the last in Acts chapter 24. And the last verse of Acts 24, the Apostle Paul is in accessory in prison. And it says that he was there for two years. And uh, that he, you know, usually when people are in Paul's in prison, it's like, yeah, he probably wrote the New Testament then. It must have been awesome. And yet there's no evidence he wrote anything from that accessory in prison. And, and as you read the context of the passage, it's as though he was just there on the whim of Agrippa and Festus and all these people. They didn't know what to do with these Jews in Jerusalem. And so they just kept Paul there to keep the Jews shut up and to not have to deal with it. And uh, so, you know, I've, this isn't the first time I've read that passage, but this time I paid attention to it and it's like two years. Okay, God, here's your, the first apostle, first missionary, maybe the greatest missionary. And your goal is to reach the world. And yet you have your missionary in prison for two years when Earlier in the book of Acts, he sprung people from prison. That doesn't seem to be a problem. And so, God, what in the world were you thinking? Like, what is this all about? And uh, so Mary and I were having, and I kind of came to a conclusion. And my conclusion was this, that 
that evidently God needed to do something in Paul that had to be done so that he could do something through Paul for the rest of his life. Now, maybe Paul was going through burnout. I don't know. He doesn't mention it. We don't know his interior heart at that time. And so I was taught, I said to Mary and I, yeah, and I concluded that God really probably wanted to just do something in Paul. And Mary and I talked like this to each other all the time. So don't, I was not offended. She said, really? You're just now getting that? And it's like, yeah, I guess so. She said, well, what about Philippians 3.10? For my determined purpose in life is not that I could go be a missionary to all the nations. My determined purpose in life is that I would know him. And it's like, yeah, I'm a slow learner. Uh, but I can only imagine the disappointment that was in Paul's heart being stuck in that stinking Caesarean jail. Even though he had friends come to him, it says that they allowed him to have friends come visit him. But it's kind of like, yeah, that was tough. And I here's my um, takeaway. And if I were dealing with students face to face, I would say, you know what? God has you and me right where he wants us. That it, he's imp it's very important of what he wants to do in me and in you. Having pushed this pause button for the world, the whole world is paused and is stopped. And the question to think about is what, what do you think he's wanting to do in you during this period of time? And uh, I think you guys have incredible disappointment you're dealing with. The Glen gets canceled. You have a new building that's sitting there empty. That's haunted me as I've prayed for you guys. It's like dead gum. And Bronson gets to live in the building. And I was thinking, well, he's not having to clean it very much. So that's a good thing. But uh, you just think of your disappointment and, and what you guys are grieving. The face-to-face -face with students, the beautiful coffee shop that you guys have set up that's, you know, such a neat tool. The way you were figuring out how to serve people and probably other groups on campus. And it's like, wow, wow. I'm in the Caesarean prison. What's God wanting to do in me during this period of time? And, um, and so I think those things, and you know, I mean, I've thought of how I ran our ministry all these years, you know, these, this is the time I'd be interviewing students for leadership next year, be building teams and plans. I'd be, uh, thinking about the summer, uh, helping 
kids get ready to go either home or go on some project someplace. And all that's just ground to a halt. And you got to occupy yourself with stuff like this, you know, doing online community and all that, man, it's terrible. But what is God wanting to do in the middle of this? Okay, anything else? I think, I don't know if you're running out of gas or not. I got a question, Brett. Okay. Um, you are talking about earlier about this whole idea of like, yeah, or the, the concept, like some students still just aren't taking this serious and they're still hanging out and they're still doing this and whatnot. And, and I think it just seems like everything's about to get worse here in the next week or two, um, which to me, I'm, I'm looking ahead thinking that we're probably going to have to deal with or help our students deal with a lot of guilt that they're going to have because they didn't take it serious and now their actions did get someone sick or worse. and. And I just see that becoming a big, big thing, not just like this whole anxiety worry, but now you're throwing guilt in and consequence of that and this whole idea. And obviously we wanna help them through this. Mm -hmm. uh, what's, what's some thoughts you have on that? I hope it doesn't get there, but I, I'm just thinking it probably is. Yeah. Well, I think you know one of the enemies biggest tools in his toolbox is shame. And the Christians are better at shaming people than anybody else. And therefore we become tools in the enemy's hands when we shame people. And so if someone, if I was in a conversation with someone and they're like, yeah, I, should have done this or that. One of the things I really want to steer clear of as a pastor, leader, someone that people would look to is shaming them in any way. And so I would go the route of, wow, well, that's, that's really an important lesson to learn. You know, why, why do you feel, tell me more about feeling guilty about that. What, what was there in that to where I'm not like, yep, yep, you did it. Um, and I, I think we've really, as we deal with people who confess their sins, whether it's like they've fallen back into pornography or some level of sexual brokenness that we listen to them and we show them kindness. You know, Romans 2, 4, uh, Paul, who's in the middle of this, what the start of the journey downward, then, you know, the downward spiral, and he's already gotten to sort of the bottom of it in chapter one in chapter two, Verse four, he said, don't you know that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? And so 
part of my heart with someone who's dealing with with guilt and shame is to try to show them kindness, the kindness of God. And I I think the story of the prodigal is, uh, I, I don't think there's a week goes by recently that I've not retold that story of the prodigal, of someone who, who has so much regret and so he puts his, he sucks it up and says, okay, I'm going to do what I promised myself I'd never do. I'm going to go back to the father and I'm going to shame myself. I'm going to say, I'm no longer worthy to be your child. And so he goes, he has his little speech together and the father runs out to him and he won't even let him get a speech out. He stops him mid-sentence. And he puts his arms around him and embraces him. And he puts a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet and a coat on him and says, "You, this is my son. He's once dead. He's not alive. So here's the question. Did the father shame this boy? Not at all. Not at all. And so part of coming back to God is receiving his gift of righteousness. And so when I hear someone confesses, I should have done this or I shouldn't have done that, I want to meet them with the very kindness of God. I want them to experience that. And um, and when someone be guys, when somebody begins to tell you a story of of guilt, you know, you just need to know you're in a very privileged place. That you have the opportunity to speak into their life in a way that will be transformational. And you need to pray that God would give you the kindness um, to care for them. So that, that would be my, you know, our inclination is, yeah, you, you need a spanking, but the uh, truth is that if they're truly feeling that, they're already spanking themselves. Hey, Brett, um, I know we're probably running out of gas a little bit here, but I wanted to end with some questions that I'm thinking about, and then maybe you could tell another story about something. Uh, you mentioned uh, the pornography thing. Do you have any resources to help, like that you've looked at and seen that would be helpful to pass on to students or that we need to just, you know, devour ourselves? Yeah, I, the, uh, I do. Let me send some of those to you. Uh, podcast, I'll send you some podcasts. I will um, send you some videos, YouTube videos maybe of people. And these would be things for 
for you to share with your students? Like I'm dealing with the young man in Florida who's really uh, struggling. Elizabeth, I was thinking about this yesterday. He sent me a text. I'm talking to him at three o'clock this afternoon. He sent me a text saying I'm really struggling. And Elizabeth Elliot used to say, the word struggle is not found in the Bible. The word disobedience is. And uh, <laughs> she said, people say they're struggling when actually they're being disobedient. So I, I don't know that it's that clear cut. But um, I've sent him these some of these podcasts to listen to. And then we can talk about, I've connected him with someone in Florida and Sarasota where he lives. I found someone that he can talk to specifically face-to-face, uh, -face, uh, someone that has experience in the area of sexual brokenness. Um, so yeah, I'll send you that stuff. But I think there's one idea that has helped me deal with men and women with sexual brokenness or with addiction to alcohol or drugs. It's this, that all addiction is related to a hunger for intimate relationships. All addiction is related to a hunger for intimate relationships. And of course, the only true intimate relationship we have is with God himself. That's why C.S. Lewis, I think, or maybe it was uh, one of his buddies that he was with, Chesterton, said, whoever is knocking at the door of a brothel is really knocking at the door of God. Well, you, that doesn't make sense unless you understand that deep down, what we're really looking for is an intimate relationship. And uh, I think as I've listened to men and women who've had sexual brokenness in their life, that um, that whole issue of intimate relationship is what's really broken. And they're finding some life somewhere else. If there's two books, uh, one, this is Dan Allender's book. I don't know, does it look backwards to you? Okay, uh, Healing the Wounded Heart. And uh, this has to do with abuse and sexual brokenness. And that's this is a fabulous book. And then one online, Kindle book I got dealing specifically with sexual brokenness is a, a book called Unwanted. Unwanted. It's the pathway to sexual wholeness or the pathway to something. Um, Jay Stringer is his name. He's uh, a writer and counselor in the Pacific Northwest, but I find his, he's done, he's done research that is absolutely fascinating with Harvard, MIT, or whatever, 
that interviewed 4,000 people with unwanted sexual uh, practices. And he's done this re research, it correlates it. It's like, wow. It, it like brings together the science of addiction with the brokenness of sexuality. I mean, it's, and it's written in a very interesting way. So those are two books. Now I'll send you some podcasts. Uh, along those lines, we don't want to be idle. Uh, what are some books that you're reading right now? Or what do you suggest that, you know, a staff person at a college campus should really be reading right now? Mm. Our hands. Yeah, I don't know if your day goes like mine, but it seems like they just spin by. It's like, how did it, how did it go by so quickly? And I'm not watching CNN or Fox all the time, and I'm not not on Netflix, but the day just goes goes away. Uh, trying to get to my Kindle to uh, see what I know. It's not going to open with everything else open here. Let me look on my phone here. on Kindle. Yeah, The Way of the Dragon and the Way of the Lamb by uh, Jamin Goggin and Kyle Strobel, Lee Strobel's son. It's such a good book on making sure we don't abuse our power that we have over people because we are pastors and leaders. Um, A book by Gary Thomas uh, called When to Walk Away. And um, that book, it had, When to Walk Away from Toxic People. And I found that to be very, very helpful book that not everybody's um, Uh, Larry Crabb wrote a book called When God's Ways Make No Sense. I really like books these days on the inner life. Um, Bobby Pruitt recommended this book, Atomic Habits by James Clear, C-L-E-A-R. You know Bobby, don't you, Bethany? Like we've met before. Yeah, I think you knew him. Um, of course, I recommended Finding Quiet by J.P. Moreland. Take you a while to get through that one. Let's see. Yeah, a book that'd be very interesting for you to read is a book called Introverts in the Church by Adam McHugh, Introverts in the Church. 
I'm married to an introvert and I've driven her nuts for most of her life. So any mental illness she has is related to me. But uh, I've really learned to value and give thanks for the introverts. And, and they don't get much good press in Christianity. <laughs> hey, Brad, I, I know our time's short here, but I just wanted you to close by telling us the story of J.O. Frazier that you were. Asking. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Sure. I, I looked it up. I just, I'd love for you to tell it, though. Okay. This is from my memory. I've got the book up on my shelf, uh, and I haven't pulled it down in a while. I am. I am going through all my books and I'm getting rid of about three fourths of them. Don't know what I'm going to do with them, but they're starting to be in boxes in our basement. Um, can I pay, can I have your biographies? I'll pay for the shipping. Yeah. I'm not selling my biographies. I'm okay. Never mind. Uh, That's like gold standard right there. Yeah. So J.O. Frazier was this guy, I, old time guy in the, the mission setting where you had to walk everywhere. There are no telephones. And he was in Burma area. And um, to my memory, that was the ge geography of where he was, Burma, China, that area. And he was doing work with people that never heard of Jesus. And he would walk into the mountains and find these uh, villages where they'd never seen a white person before didn't even know that other races existed and he would go in and he had his people he discipled with him who would sort of cause him to not create such a terrible fear in people share the gospel help them and many came to christ and so he lived in the valley and he'd go up to the mountains. Well, he was planning to go up in the mountains in the fall before winter hit to check on the believers, some new believers who were very shaky in their faith. And uh, the winter snows came early and he couldn't go. And this, this really tore at him. And he's like, I don't know what to do. They're not gonna keep following Jesus. And so he made a decision that he would pray for them as much time as he would have spent with them, that he would spend that time praying. But when the summer snows melted with fear and trepidation, he climbed back up into the mountains, not knowing what he would find. And he found that those believers were flourishing more than the believers that were down in the valley. And his conclusion was that prayer is not just the work of the ministry. Prayer is the ministry. And so, you know, when I found out what was happening, I had said to Shane about J.O. Frazier and this story and I guess Max had shared that story earlier in the day with you. And Max and I hadn't talked. It, both of us were like, yeah, well, 
one lesson God's going to teach all of us is that prayer is the ministry. And, uh, you know, I, I have found since I stepped away from reading, leading uh, the ministry locally, that prayer has just become a precious thing to me and something that I look forward to do. And if I don't get my, my time every day in prayer, I just feel like I'm, there's something lost. And oh, how I wish when I was sitting where you guys are active and leading that I had realized that and had put in pot into my life the practice of prayer and intercession for people. Um, in so many ways, I feel close to people. I feel close to you guys because I pray for you every day. I have this card. I look at your faces, everybody except Austin. And, uh, <laughs> I lift you before the Lord and he'll, he'll lead me to pray for Bethany on a particular day. And I pray for Shane and for Matt and Julie. And uh, I feel so close to you guys because of prayer. And I really, really wish I had done this when I was younger. And it was just the uh, tyranny of the urgent that kept me from that. And so God's really giving you guys a gift. Maybe, maybe your whole issue of your prayer life and practicing prayer and intercession will become a joy to you, will become something you just can't wait to do because somehow you're connecting in Christ with people you really care about and you really want them to be successful. And uh, so there you go. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. Well, thank you very much. Um, Matt, would you pray for the yawns? And, yes. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much for doing well, that. Time is one thing I have. So, so far, I'm not dead. If you're not dead, you're not done. So here I am. Um, we, I definitely would love to see those resources. If you have anything, we're, we're also trying to figure out what we're going to do this summer since there's no focus and, and most likely there won't be any kind of training programs that aren't virtual. So yeah, you ought to, you ought to connect with Craig Olive. They're going to, Maybe he and Dave. Uh, yeah, I've got Brace in English texting me like every 10 minutes trying to figure out what they're going to do. Uh, they're wanting to do something. Uh, there's just so many non-answers yet on how loose things are going to be. But yeah. that's that. Yeah, the Florida crew is obviously we're we're, we're uh, brothers separated by miles, but definitely love those guys so yeah matt you want to pray us out yes 
Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time. And uh, like you said, you commanded us to be thankful um, in everything. So God, so we're just thankful for even the uh, circumstances that the coronavirus has brought upon us. And um, like Brett said, your spirit has allowed this uh, thing to take place. And we know that what the enemy uses for evil, uh, intends for evil, you can use for good. And uh, God, we see that all throughout scripture. And so we just trust you, uh, Lord. We're not worried or, or upset. We're, Lord, we just trust you that this is your, uh, you're going to do something great, Lord. And uh, fruitfulness comes from trusting in you. It doesn't come from circumstances or strategy or efforts or uh, working hard. It comes from abiding in Christ. And so, Lord, uh, please make this time uh, both in Brett and Shane, uh, all of us on staff, uh, Lord, you could make this, God, if we'll trust you, you could make this the most fruitful time of our life so far. And I pray you would do that. And uh, Lord, I just thank you for um, the blessings around us. Help us to stop, um, be still, and know that you are God. Lord, you will be, what is it, Psalm 4610, be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. And so God, you're going to be exalted and your name is going to be lifted up on high. And God, we just ask uh, graciously and humbly that we could be a part of it. 